is Johnny Max, and I'm playing Casey Kasem, and you're listening to Talking Blues Podcast, right here on Talking Blues Radio. Wonderfully done. How Thank are you. you? I'm all right. How are you? Good. You just came back from an Irish tour. Yes. Words I love hearing. Tell me about that. Tell um, me how it happened. Well, I, I had a... As you know, uh, be, being a, a musician and, and uh, for many a year, I apply to a number of festivals, and we're talking in the hundreds every single year. So I apply to a, a lot of European festivals, um, North American festivals, and um, sometimes uh, you get some callbacks. So, Sorry, I, can you tell me what what is that process? How do you apply? What does that mean? Oh man, that's um, well, the, there's a thing called an, an electronic press kit. Right. So an EPK, we call it, and it has a video or it has bio and some song samples and a little blurb and maybe a couple of reviews. It says, hey, this is who we are. Uh, you know, we're Juno nominated or, or, you know, we're award winning this and that. We'd like to come over and play in Germany or France or Scotland or Ireland or Scandinavia. And uh, hopefully some of, some, some of the program directors or artistic directors um, bite and some have, but we haven't been able to get a run of festivals or a run of venues along with the festival. So for the past 10, 12 years, I'd have a couple festivals, one in July and one an offer in November. Well, you know, you got to turn them down. You can't set anything around it. So this, uh, uh, now a friend of mine, Seamus O'Neill, he was a, a tech guy for Level 42 back in the day, uh, runs an event company out of Belfast. He wanted to get us last year. He heard, um, he, he saw my pitch and uh, wanted, I think in June, and wanted to get us, you know, the next month. And I said, that's impossible. So we worked on it for a year. So the, the pitch being your EPK or yeah, something else? Yeah, you know, please hire us. I, we're a lonely little Canadian blues band. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you know. I always get the feeling, and I know that's not completely true, but I, I get the feeling that most festivals, probably the festival artistic director probably has a pretty good idea in mind who they're going to get every year and it's very rare that they're going to get a cold call and they're going to hire that person but I presume that that happens I think you're uh, misinformed I think all the headliners okay that's it you're you're up podcast is over I think all the headliners I think the ADs and the PDs program directors and and the board of directors all have a great idea of who they'd like to see so the Shamika Copeland's or uh, Tedeschi Trucks mm-hmm. or, or Dr. John's, those guys. Right. I think those are set up a year and two years in advance. Everybody else is pretty, everyone else um, below, say, a Jan of a Magnus's stature or a Victor Wainwright now, or say Victor Wainwright two years ago. Right. You know, a pretty well known guy, he'd be doing the same thing we're doing. So he'd be knocking on doors and having an agent knock on doors, et cetera, et cetera, until he became more known through the IBCs, through winning the Pine Top Perkins uh, Award and things like that. And he's come up to uh, King Carden festivals up here in Ontario and the smaller festivals, and he's made a name for himself as an exciting performer. That helps, and that translates to Europe. So what you have as a Canadian band is you're trying to generate that buzz without having an IBC or, or a Memphis behind you, or even an agent. Okay, so you don't have an agent. No. Okay. Is I'm looking for agents. If there's any agents out there, God, Johnny Max, <laughs> in the voice of Casey Kasem, here on America's Tap. Okay, now how difficult is that? Because I presume you've gone to approach different 
Oh yeah, I, what agents or, or <clears throat> agents? Agents, I don't, I don't. Agents are funny because you need a guy or or, or a woman to say, "I like that band. I want to help you." Mm-hmm. And in that process, you also have to go knock on the door saying, "Hey, can you help me? You yeah. know, I'm looking for an agent." So it's got to fit. And I have a couple people that are helping me out, but I don't have an agent per se. Right, and it's usually agent in different geographical locations. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a guy could be in Dusseldorf in Germany is not going to book it in Oslo and Norway, generally yeah. speaking, because he won't know the terrain, you know. So so this guy, Seamus O'Neill in Belfast, is in essence an agent and has offered to be an agent and put me in touch with other agents in the UK as well because he's he really liked the band. He liked what he saw on YouTube and not blow my own horn, but you need that guy every once in a while to perk you up and, and stop you from beating your head against the wall saying this is pointless <laughs> because, <laughs> because you know, if you're going to apply to 400 festivals a year, right. just, just an acknowledgement. Like I, I, so, I, so you're saying Seamus is the guy who's giving you that, this, that this. impetus to keep going on. Right, right, right. Such as um, the PD for the Edinburgh Jazz Festival. He, he sent us a note back, sent me a note back two years ago and said, anytime you're in at this time, um, give us a call. That just, that just, that, that made me so happy because most festivals are inundated with guys mm-hmm. and they don't return emails. So when you even get a rejection that says, no, we can't uh, use you, you think you've won because you, you've done something that they have actually said, I'm going to get a hold of this guy and tell him sorry. Well, you can imagine how many they get. Oh, like it must thousands. Be really, yeah. Thousands. And from a lot of bad bands too. You know <laughs> What? Such well, things exist? Yes. Well, I'm a radio host. I get a lot of stuff. So tell me about being a Canadian band. Is that a major disadvantage? Absolutely. Because? Um, well, there's a couple of things. As a host of my radio show, Sunday Morning Zool, um, as I plugged right there on Blues Radio Canada. Where can, uh, where uh, can yeah. people find that? www.sundaymorningzool.com, bluesradiocanada.com, and on podcasts all across the world. <laughs> uh, done. So, so with, with with being being the radio show host, what was the question again? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't listening. No, um, no, no. The, I mean, the, 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 the disadvantage. Band, the, the disadvantage. Yeah. So the disadvantage is this: blues is an American art form, as is jazz. It is also uh, um, perceived as, uh, or can be perceived as, as an African American form of music as well. So. If you're an American artist, if you're African American, uh, there's there's a big advantage for you going to Europe. Doesn't matter how good you are, most mm-hmm. are great, but you know there are ones that slip through. As an American artist, even coming to Chicago, wh- whatever color, whatever race you are, it helps because you're American. Right. So, um, so there are advantages and disadvantages. The disadvantage of being Canadian is you're Canadian. Mm-hmm. You're not known as a blues. Um, uh, as, a, as a country that, that is known for blues music. I think that's wrong. I think some of the best musicians I've ever heard, depending on what you like, if you like storytelling and songwriting, if you like a melange or a mix of country and roots and R&B and blues and straight ahead stuff, this is the place, this is the country that has that. We grow blues. We grow it into other art forms maybe. Mm-hmm. And so it, we're, we're not a purist. Uh, we're, we're not what purists are looking for. 
What Europe is looking for, and I am absolutely generalizing, is they want authenticity because they're European. They love the art form, be it jazz or blues, and they want that. And the race of an artist, people will not say that it's, that it's wanted, but it's, it, they like having African Americans play the music that they think is more altruistic coming from them, I guess. Although I do find that they're very supportive of their own. So that... Oh, yeah. You know, so if you're f- from Finland and there's a Finnish blues band or Norwegian or whatever, yep. I mean, I think they're very supportive of that, which kind of surprises me. So the authenticity is a little different. Not what? surprises me, but I mean, I just, I, I think it, it's very encouraging that they're very supportive of European bands. But the, the authenticity, um, unlike Canada... Canadians, and I joke about this, but, but it ha- it, it, I'm being facetious. Canadians don't really support anything Canadian unless there's a hockey stick in their hand, right? <laughs> or they've made it elsewhere. Elsewhere. That, and Burton Cummings said that years ago, right? So we are an anomaly in, in, or an anomaly in this whole thing. Americans support Americans. They support anything that's American. Europeans with the blues and jazz things going on, they support American artists. But you're right. If you have, uh, I think they're from uh, Finland, the, the Wentis Blues Band, mm-hmm. fantastic band, mm-hmm. just brilliant. And they're well-deserved to, to, to get the support from their people. And bands of, of lesser caliber or lesser known still get that support. It happens in Germany, it happens in the UK, it happens in France, and they're better for it because blues morphs into something else that is blues or blues-ish, and those people love the fact that their people, their countrymen, play this music that they love. Mm-hmm. They also want uh, the artists from the U.S. We as Canadians are nowhere on that scene. Right. So you got to go over there, bang on doors, kick the door in, and go, look at this. So how was it when you were in Ireland, and this was your first tour over there, right? Yeah, for, well, first tour in Ireland. And the same thing happened in Denmark. The same thing happened in France. They couldn't believe, and, and I'm not blowing my own horn, they could not believe how good we were because they didn't think Canadian bands would be that good. Don't they know Nickelback? Uh, they may know Nickelback. Maybe that's why. <laughs> hey, it's Nickelback. I know. But, you know, like David Gogo tell you the same thing. Maybe not as, not as uh, loud and obnoxious as I do. But, you know, he had to bang on doors yeah, and, yeah. and get over there. He had to play with a, a Dutch band. Not that he had to. He, he found guys that, that he wanted to play with. And he's been playing in Germany for 10 years. Jimmy Boskill kept banging on the door. Harrison Kennedy is now finding uh, success in, in, in Europe, as is Shakura. And they're opening the door for guys like us. Mm-hmm. You know, Downchild, one of the best bands Canada has, has ever produced, I think, in a blues vein, they find it hard to get into Europe. Right. You know, so, and, and there's different styles work. Our style doesn't always work. We don't have, uh, a, as the Johnny Max band, we don't use a harmonica. You know, we don't we don't play straight ahead Chicago blues. We we have that mix of uh, the new album will have a bit more seventies rock and roll with, with a blues tinge where where all the rock bands really had a blues foundation. Um, we've played more New Orleans stuff, more Memphis style, more Delbert, more storytelling in it than people are accustomed to, and and that's a hard road to to hoe. But I'm up for the challenge. I'm Scottish. I'll well, stick maybe my face you- anywhere. If you would have learned the harmonica instead of just carried that hockey stick yeah. everywhere, that yeah. might be a different Well, story. if I would have... 
<laughs> that harmonica, you would have never seen me with my mouth closed. <laughs> and that's hard to do now. But it was a successful tour. It, it was a great tour. It was, um, it was small in stature, but the, the inroads we made to the people that we had to see and that saw us were, um, uh, it, it, it was very, very fruitful. In that, this morning, I got a call from the promoter who wanted to bring us back, and all the venues want us back next year, which is fine, mm -hmm. at, at a higher rate. And we'll be going to the Republic anyway because we made inroads with that, and two other festivals are interested, and that's why you do it. Right, and hopefully you grow from there. Yeah, see, what, what happened to me years ago was I let a couple people who said they were agents or told me that they had connections uh, take over a couple areas in Europe. And when I went back knocking on the doors this year myself, because mm -hmm. they're all doing other things, people were saying, well, where have you been? So I now know that nobody did anything. Right. So, I mean, it, it's a small community, and, and as a small time or, or medium level uh, blues band you have to take control and you have to knock on doors and, and make those connections with people because um, that's what gets you as a Canadian band or as an unknown band even an Australian band what gets you into these festivals and 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 different countries is the connection you have with the program director or the artistic director or the magazine editor or the DJs so it's all about talking and everybody i think in this country knows that i can talk i heard that yeah <laughs> you're the only one that listened marco but i mean it's the same thing that you go to the ibc every year like you're trying to make connections yeah. and and make contacts and well the well the ibc is absolutely fantastic i will go to the european one next year i planned this year but ran out of money um the musician's dilemma mortgage or or a trip to italy or food or food yeah um so the IBC, the International Blues Challenge, is one of the best um, meet and greets I have ever seen. So it's, uh, for those who don't know, it's between 250, 350 bands, solos, and duos playing over four days in Memphis, Tennessee uh, in a competition. And I use that word reluctantly, but uh, that's pretty much what it is. But it is in front of... Uh, the largest venue owners and managers in the U.S., uh, festival directors from across the world and in the U.S. and in Canada. There's now six showcases um, that you should go to put on by certain blue societies and other agents and labels. And it is a place where you can shake hands and uh, talk to people once a year and they remember your name and uh, you could get a record deal out of it. You could get an agent out of it. You could get more festival work. And you can travel the world. And I'm shocked at how many musicians still think it is crass. To compete. To compete. And I, 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 I use the analogy in the movie The Color of Money with Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. Paul Newman has a line in it where Tom Cruise says, you know, I beat this guy on the table. I beat this guy and this guy. And Paul Newman said, it's not about what you do in front of people. It's all about the back room. And that's exactly what this is. So your band played there? Twice. And what was that experience like? Um, I thought it was great, but apparently no one else liked us. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you liked it. I, liked, I mean, I made great friends out of that. I made great connections. From Jay Seelman, who, who ran uh, the Blues Organization, the Blues Foundation, to Bill Wax, who's become a very good friend of mine, who had the largest listenership in the world of blues listeners on XM Satellite Radio. 
Uh, a couple of the sponsors and, and their wives have all become friends of mine. And all these people, the DJs, everybody seemed to like it. The, uh, the, the, the judges didn't like it so much, but everybody has their own agenda. Some have, some don't, don't like blues the way we play it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the sound isn't great in the IVCs, and it turns out rockier than, than what you want. They're loud rooms. They're not meant for blues, most of them. And uh, so you do the best you can. And the judges are doing the best they can. I've judged for five years. You know, it's not easy. And you you should go there and think that you're the best, pretty much the best or the top three anyway. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, you're just wasting everybody else's time. Yeah, why go there? If you're yeah. Not? yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of people will go there just to think about winning. And I know that the winner, like, it's definitely the first place oh, artist. It's massive. Can, a lot of rewards and so does the second but I don't know if it's only about that and it's you know I know people who've who were who didn't make it past the first round who wound up doing tours in South America Jerika Singleton for one I saw him twice and he blew me away both times didn't make it out of the bars Hmm. which blew my mind right traveling all over the place and yet there are other bands that made it um, that have you know uh, made the the finals and didn't go anywhere because you, you have to you have to keep that juggernaut going so once you get the momentum you got to keep pushing it and if that's not you as a band leader or a band and you don't have an agent or a manager to do that for you it's 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 a lost opportunity and that happens with a lot of guys oh it's a tough business to oh. be in and you know oh yeah i've been listen i've been i used to get beaten up that was my position playing hockey <laughs> send him out <laughs> you'll tire out the goon <laughs> okay was is there um i mean canada's a difficult territory to cover because it's so huge you, you've gone to ireland you've gone to parts of europe is the u.s important i mean how do you view w- what territory to cover or you'll just cover anything that you, you oh well, I'm, I'm i'm trying to get into the u.s i'm trying to get into florida um i have Again, it's the same with Europe. I have some gigs I can do, but I can't string them all together at the same time. Right. But I was told once years ago at the IBC that uh, the U.S. is not going to import blues from Canada. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's a pretty poignant statement. So again, you got, a, you got your work cut out for you. So the work I do at the IBCs, when we played there last year, uh, four or five guys I invited out to see the band because they all knew me as a DJ and a judge. They weren't around when we, well, they were around when we first played, but I didn't know them. Mm -hmm. They didn't know us, we were just another band. We've all become friends, they all came out and saw the band, they were all impressed, to the point where three guys in Florida came up and said, anything you want, uh, when you wanna get down here, I will do my utmost to to get some work for you. And that's all you're asking, because cold calling is cold calling, but if you have somebody to say, hey, try these guys out, then it'll work. And, and I'm an old guy. I'm not looking for 14 dates and 15 nights. I'm looking for six dates and 15 nights. I, I need some sleep. Buddy. Okay, but six dates and 15 nights usually means you're not going to make money on that tour. True. But you work on merchandise, you know, T-shirts and CDs. And it's not always about making that money. You're, not, you're never going to make a killing the first time out anyway. Right. If you break even, I think you're, you're ahead of the game. If you're... You go with... Um, it's like a budget. If you don't want to go over your budget, so if I can afford to lose a grand or two grand or whatever it is, 
then then I can afford that. The other beautiful thing about Canada, and not so much in, uh, to our brothers and sisters in the U.S., is we have governments that offer grants mm-hmm. and arts council grants, and there's a plethora of them. There are a myriad of them. So can you explain that to people who won't, who doesn't understand or who has no concept of what government grants would be? Like what kind of grants are there and, and how do you take advantage of this? Well, because Canada is such a, um, a large populace, when you're talking about the U.S. and the difference in Canada is a huge country, we're very east-west. We're spread across the east-west. At least in the U.S., you can go north, south, east, and west and hit a, a big town to play. So there, there is that advantage. So in Canada being so wide, what the provincial governments and the um, uh, federal governments have offered in all arts, from video to, to theater to dance to music to uh, uh, classical music to Aboriginal music and, and, and all, those, all that palette of, of artistic endeavor, they have a process where um, for whatever uh, specific genre or, or trade that you have, you can apply for money for a recording project a theater project, um, a touring project, um, um, working with other arts ensembles and projects like that for being a producer, for being uh, bringing in productions, publications, and being manage- managing. Um, they have all sorts of these programs where if you apply correctly and you're judged by your peers, whoever the peers are, on a panel um, that you're deemed worthy, they will give you the money you ask for or a portion thereof. But how difficult is that? It's very difficult, and it should be difficult. Right. Because if it wasn't, there'd be no money left. Because as soon as there's free money, everybody's after it. Mm. So you get some guys who complain that, you, you know, it's all run by bureaucrats, which it's not really, but they want you to cross your T's and dot your I's, and you should. You know, you have to make sure your project is worthy. So I've applied for grants. I've gotten some. I haven't gotten any. It's a, it's a crapshoot, but, you know. It's a great thing that our government does. It helps support the arts. It happens in Europe all over the place. Mm -hmm. So what it does in Canada is if I'm going to tour and I can get a grant, um, I am now on an even, uh, there's an even playing field between me and uh, an American band, say, that that has to cover their travel expenses. So my travel expenses are covered. So now I can go in at an at not a, a low cut rate, I'm still going to ask what I want, but I then don't have a five thousand dollar bill hanging off my shoulder because I had to pay for flights. But what happens if you don't get the grant? Does that mean you don't tour, or it, it can mean that? I mean, I didn't get the grant this time for the Irish tour, but I could afford to lose X amount of dollars because you look at it as an investment. Yeah, and absolutely. Next year, you will make more money. Absolutely. See, I should have done this. I should not have allowed um, my laziness. To, um, uh, to, to get me involved with a couple of people who, who said they were agents and, and could promise me gigs. Because when we went to Europe, we were on a high. It was uh, after um, the Lessons album. So we'd had one Juno nomination. We had some nice press. We were coming up with another album, and I let this go, and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. So, you know, lesson learned. Lesson learned. You have... You have many different projects in your head. Because I'm ADD. (laughs) (laughs) Or PhD or something. No, you have more than most different ideas for different things. I don't know if you want to. I mean, you you hang around a lot of musicians and artists. 
You think I have a lot more ideas than, than most? I think you have a lot of ideas. Okay. Whether they're any good. Is yeah, I know. That's a whole different story. That's, that's being very, very specific. No, no, specific. but you're always, you're always thinking about another idea. You're always, whether it actually gets off the ground or not, yeah. I think you're always thinking about different angles. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about yeah, how that comes about and also about some of the ideas that you have? Well, I, I think that's an artistic endeavor that any artist um, should have. I think you should always look at the next project or something uh, to come up. I mean, we, we've, I'm now working on two albums, so... Uh, it'll be our seventh and eighth, and one is a live in a studio a recording with with some people. It may or may not get released. We'll, we'll see what happens. I think you have to always have something on the go, um, whether it's because I'm ADD or whatever. I have no idea, but there's so many things that interest me musically. Uh, I want to work with you on, on a film and, and a music thing, which we've talked about off and on for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not quick <laughs> when it comes to working this stuff. Um, but I, I think uh, uh, there's so much great music in Canada, and I will um, I will go after the Canadian people here that nobody hears, and it's not that they don't care, but they don't care enough to actually search it out. So uh, I don't know if that's a national trait, which I don't think it is, because the people I know love music. But there's also they love couches too, <laughs> you know. For my American friends, that that is that that is a sofa, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> you don't know what a couch is, or Chesterfield. They don't know what a Chesterfield is. Um, so it's cigarettes. A, oh, c- yes. <laughs> I just saw an ad for one of those the other day. It was amazing. I was in France recently, and I saw people smoking Chesterfield. Really? Yeah. I, when I smoked, I tried a Chesterfield once, and they had no tip. Right, and I thought I was 16 or something. I'm gonna be cool. I'm gonna smoke a Chesterfield, and I was spitting tobacco. Going, this is terrible. Now it didn't stop me smoking. <laughs> I just found another cigarette that that had a tip on it. Um, so with, with, with the ideas, is it's uh, I love music. I love creating art. It's a one thing. I, I was a truck driver for 25 years. As a delivery guy, manager, you know, and and I just found this coming into my own in, in my mid-30s, starting a new family, and you know, my kids were young, and, and I became a musician. I quit my job, mm-hmm. or as my company said, fired. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a, Point of view. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's all semantics. <laughs> um, so you showed them. I did show them. I'm never coming back here. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, so m- maybe it's because I was older, I was a DJ, a really bad one, for, for uh, 10 years or so. So I've always been into music. And, and now that I've ha- found this avenue, I started songwriting after the third album we, we put out. We put two albums of covers. Um, you know, there was this creative process. And, and in that, you know, you're writing for an album every two, three years or whatever. So I have other ideas. And one would be um, to create an Irish and blues album not unlike what Van Morrison did with the Chieftains, but mm-hmm. Van wasn't, you know, that was a pop album. Then Van wanted to get back to his Irish roots. I see a, a really nice melange of Irish traditional songs and Scottish traditional songs that I grew up with and making them more roots and blues and vice versa, bringing Illin Pipes and, and, and Tin Whistles into other blues songs and acoustify them, sort of, you know, what, um, uh, what the Unplugged sort of thing did for, for pop, uh, mm-hmm. uh, pop guys. 
there's that. There's, I, I really want to do an album of Bobby Charles songs because I love Bobby Charles. I have a couple guys in Texas who want to do the same thing, so we're trying to find ways to, to, to work that out. I want to do an album with uh, all Toronto songs, so down by the Henry Moore, might as well be on Mars. And there's songs that were either written in Toronto or played by Toronto bands or written about Toronto. Things like that, that really, really in interests me. I want to write a play about the guys I play hockey with. I have the, the set on the theater all set up. I know how it's going to work. I don't know how to write it because <laughs> I tend to swear a lot. Well, so that's hockey, isn't uh, it? It is. But, you know, it, and, and, I, and the, the guys I hang out with, that's what we want to do. Um, so they're all ideas. That, whether they come to fruition or not, who knows? But did you, it, were you always like this? Like you obviously started in music quite late in your life. You didn't have as a, a performer. Right. I mean, I know you love music, but from, from a young age, yeah. and you, you know music. But like when you were in high school, did you have any inkling of being in a band? Or? No, not at all. So how did, what, what happened that made you think, hey, I should do this? I got asked on the loading dock when I was working for Canadian Linen by a guy, uh, one of my co-workers, uh, to sing in a band because he'd heard me sing in the morning when we're loading trucks and Q107's on. And you'd hear me singing Roxanne or whatever. I wasn't as much of a baritone then. <laughs> now it would be Roxanne. Um, so we, we had a band and we were doing Almond Brothers stuff because he was a guitar player. That's what mm -hmm. he liked. And I found out then I could sing a bit. I was terrible, but I could sing a bit. In a bar, uh, my really good friends, um, uh, Don Owen, Bill McLean, Billy Craig, uh, Brian Terrell, Billy Harper, all guys who were pub singers. And some guys had, had pretty good success. Billy Craig was number four melody maker in the early 70s. Um, some guys with really good careers. They used to get me up and sing in the pub, and I'd sing crappy little songs that I liked. And, and that started me going to the point where a guy asked me to sing in his band. How did you feel about singing in front of people? Oh, it was, uh, was nerve-wracking. I could be the class clown mm -hmm. and butcher a song, but now try and be serious and <laughs> sing a song right. I was like Joe Cocker 10 times over personified shaking and moving and just anything just to but you know you do that and then I got asked by a friend of mine a friend of mine had a guitar teacher and uh, this guy saw me uh, doing my karaoke goofing around for beers at a bar and then um, told his guitar teacher about me and it was a two song um, audition Halfway through the second song, he says, here's 25 songs. Learn these for two weeks. Was that, did that come easy to you? No, but I learned how to rhyme. I, I learned what Van Morrison meant when he said, June, moon, spoon. Learn, <laughs> learn to mumble. Because when you forget the words, you better have something else in your head. Okay, so when you started that, did, did the bug hit you immediately? Oh, yeah, I loved it. Loved it. I was the center of attention. I was a class clown who gets to live out his dream. And then when, when you decided to leave the company or was fired... Whichever way. Their words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and so at that point, you decided, I'm going to do this full time. I had, um, my wife and I talked about a couple of things. My wife and I, um, the only two people I know have ever taken other jobs for less money a number of times. Because we're, we're, we're all about sanity. So if a job is running you down and making you crazy, mm -hmm. then quit. Right. Right. I had no problem with that. My wife had no problem with me quitting or being fired. Well, she didn't like the fired part. 
happened a lot. I had eight jobs in one year once. <laughs> oh. Eight jobs. Apparently, I have a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> wow. That's a surprise. Oh, the attitude or eight jobs that I can <laughs> count to eight. <laughs> Me and math are not very good friends. Wow. Okay. So, what, so when I was doing, I was working with my last company and, and I was working on the side in the bars and we had three and four and five gigs a week. And the scene in Toronto was pretty good. And we were already branching out into St. Catharines and Niagara area. So Southwestern Ontario. So we were an hour, two hours outside of our, our home turf. Um, once a week or whatever and we take gigs and we we're getting paid pretty good for bar bands well then i got fired and uh, <laughs> and then i said to my wife well i'm not going back to work and she says okay because we were making good money mm -hmm. and then the bottom fell out of the music scene okay so what year would that be oh man i would have been oh when would that have been well i've been doing this for 20 years so say 18 years ago Okay. So what's that? So late, late 90s, right? Yeah. So the you, no smoking. You had nothing to do with the bottom falling out, did you? Well, no, I had nothing to do with that. Although I ha I ha it has been mentioned. Well, you know, you, you had uh, the drinking and driving laws got more strict. Right. Uh, prices kept going up for beers. Uh, people weren't going out because we were working longer. And my pet peeve, you know, you want to get rid of unions, you're going to work longer hours. Mm -hmm. There's there's my socialist uh, uh, agenda right there. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. Um, vote Johnny Max and uh, feel the burn. <laughs> feel the max. Feel the max. And, uh, the, and the no smoking rules came in. Really, It really killed the bars. And what happened with the bars were they thought that the non-smokers would come back to the bars in general. And again, generalizing. And they didn't because for 20 years, when, whenever they left the bars, they'd found other things to do. Right. So they're not coming back to the bars. Um, the non the smokers are all pissed off, so they're not coming back to the bar. So now you have um, nobody in there on a Thursday and Friday. So now you can't afford to hire a band. And Toronto had a great live music scene, as I'm sure other cities did, but a really good cover band scene, a really good original band sort of scene. There was bars with original music going on, and it just it went away. I'd say almost overnight, but within a year, because mm -hmm. bars didn't realize that nobody was coming back. So they didn't change their menu, didn't bring in the new beers. You know, we, know, we don't need craft beers. We don't have to draw people. We'll eventually get them back. And they didn't. Happened in New York City, happened in Chicago, happened in San Fran, L.A. But you never went back to work full time, did nope. you? No. Nope. So how do you deal with that? I do a lot of things. I, uh, I'm in, I run four bands that I front. Mm -hmm. So there's... there's um, I have festival bands, I have bar bands, and I can put stuff on. I play in two other uh, tribute-style bands now. I, I'm in a jazz band. I used to guest with other guys. And then I found I've always painted my whole life. And I coached hockey for a long time. I got into reffing hockey. So I ref hockey on the side. It, makes, it, it takes up some nights but it pays pretty good mm -hmm. and then i've always loved painting and i decided to start painting a bit more full-time and that allows me to lose money on tours and to take chances on tours not lose money on tours but mm -hmm. to take chances take a flyer as they say and and say okay let's go to ireland and you know it'll be 10 days you know it'll cost x amount of dollars i have this amount of jobs coming up there's also the radio show and the radio station 
So the radio show was making money for a long time. Now I break even again because the ads money's scarce. Mm -hmm. So, um, I try and get festivals to advertise on the radio show and blue societies, but I do it anyway. I cut my own throat. You know, I have no leverage because I, I think the the more information that's out there from one spot, which we all used to have in a newspaper, mm -hmm. we don't really have anymore. So now you have to go hunting. Uh, but if you can come to my radio show or my radio station and, and hear what's going on, you know, it might be a small little parameter. It might be stuff going on in Huntsville, in Toronto, could be in Vancouver, could be the East Coast, and they all send me stuff and I try and get it on air, then at least you can hear what's going on or what might be coming to your neighborhood. And then you just have really, really good music and you get to go out and have some fun. Well, I know you love music. I mean, I know that from just being a friend and we talking about music, but what does doing the radio show, what does it do for you? What, what do you get out of doing the radio show? I think, if I'm honest with myself, it strokes my ego. <laughs> I think, Why? You know, I mean, I've always loved radio. I grew up, uh, I tell this story, I grew up uh, going to school in the summer with my friends, with a transistor radio, playing handball with the guys, playing touch with the girls. Um, well, you know, what are you going to do? It's the summertime in Ontario. And the transistor radio, I remember when, when, when I heard Bohemian Rhapsody for the first time, I was with 15 of my friends, of which 11 of us are still together. You know, and we all remember those songs and, and Steve Miller. And then when Wolfman Jack came up to Canada mm -hmm. uh, for about five, five or seven years, he brought in that, that oldie sound, which was just starting. Uh, you know, because radio stations were all, they were all pop radio stations for the most part, and then the FM stations were real FM stations. So you get Yes albums, full Yes sides, and, and King Crimson and stuff like that, and ELP. And, and the pop stations were great for us because we were 10, 11, 12, 13. Um, Wolfman Jack came in, and you got this 50s stuff that our parents listened to, but he also played some blues. Mm -hmm. And that's when I first heard Howlin' Wolf. I first heard Muddy Waters. I heard, uh, you know, th there's other guys c coming up through, through that, that sound, and he would talk about that. So you'd have that, and then Toronto had a huge array of great DJs who were, I thought, very, very knowledgeable. And Toronto in that time and those radio stations helped promote and put on uh, the first concerts I saw at Nathan Phillips Square in that Ontario place. They promoted it all, and you heard about that. Mm -hmm. So my radio station and the radio show is all about that. That's what it gives me. It allows me to pretend that I'm a professional DJ. I get to hear all the music coming in from all across the world, Poland, Scotland, France, all through the States, all over Canada, and I get to listen to it and play it. And I get to play it for you and you and everybody else if you want to listen because the music is too freaking good to not be heard. It is world class. Mm -hmm. And we, as North Americans, do not have a culture of music and art. We've borrowed everything from Europe to start uh, an argument. And in Europe and in Asia and in Africa, it's omnipresent. It's everywhere. We think it's a hobby. It's not a hobby. Not for anyone you know, not for anyone I know. But do you worry about where the music business is going or is, has already gone? What music business? <laughs> okay, so, so you talk about two CDs in, in, that you're working on. 
Um, I'm not even convinced that five years from now people are going to be selling Probably not. Cheese. But how do you view that, the, the well, change in the business and, and what you as an artist have to deal with? Well, I found that in Ireland pretty quick. And Europe is, Europe is probably three, four years ahead of us mm-hmm. in consumerism, much as uh, uh, North Americans will tell you they're not. Uh, they don't buy CDs anymore. Um, I had a hard time selling CDs, although some people, depending on the age group, they'll buy some because they want a memento, and that's what they are now. Right. Um, I don't know if song cards help. Uh, I sure as heck know that um, um, USB sticks don't work, you know. But there has to be something. And as an entertainer or someone, some an artist, you don't want to let. Uh, this is going to sound really crass. You don't want to let a sale pass you by. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a businessman in me. So I don't want to trust you as a listener to go home and download my music. I don't even trust you to remember the name of the band after a day of being out drinking and 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 being at a festival. I mean, we all know that's true, and nobody wants to say it. Right. So I'll be the loudmouth to say it. Um, I would rather get you, as soon as I finish, and have you buy my music. Um, but people are just, they're too lax now, and they just, ah, I'll get it later. I've even heard examples where a musician would be asked what that second last song was in the set, and he'll say, it's this song, and it's, you can buy it on this CD, and say, oh, no, that's okay, I'll, yeah. I can stream it. Yeah. Well, the, the streaming is, is killing it. That, you know, the Spotify argument where, for, for whatever reason, governments have not changed the, the rules and, and the payout because without that, Spotify wouldn't exist. If Spotify had to pay radio rates, Spotify would not be there. Mm-hmm. The argument with other friends of mine is, well, it's there anyway. Yeah, it does make it right. No, I'm not sure if you're going to change it. But I wonder, as a musician, how what what do you do to not accommodate, but how, what's your thinking in terms of how do you how do you deal with the being in the music industry, the music non industry, music non industry? Yeah, I, I well, I don't think you can acquiesce to the lowest common denominator. That's not how I would work it. I know some guys will. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think you're wrong to say you can't fight it. There are organizations in Canada that are are trying to fight it. Uh, by such as Let's Fix CanCon. Um, but it's uh, record companies and labels will always make their money. However, they're going to make it, whether it's stealing off, off the artist, which is generally what they did, um, because the artist never checked, and the record companies always um, uh, benefited from that fact that they already knew. Sign this, kid. Uh, it will be good to you. And so you sign it, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're in debt to the tune of $5 million. Mm-hmm. and you have to go bankrupt. So that's what record companies did, and they made a lot of money on the backs of everybody else, and the successful ones always make money. In Canada, with CanCon rules, the problem, as I see it, is I will never make money because no one will play my music on radio. Not because it's good, good bad, or indifferent, but because CanCon allows you to play the same Canadian content over and over and over, which, in essence makes the same six artists and songwriters very, very rich. And people think that that's, that's, you know, it's good, it's CanCon. Well, if that's the case, people think Neil Young did two songs, not 30 albums. They think the band had two songs. They think the Guess Who had one. And they think BTO had seven. So we should explain what CanCon is. CanCon in Canada is, uh, came in in 1969, which was a way of radio stations 
it was it was legislated that radio stations must play at that point it was 30 percent canadian content between the hours of eight and six oh sorry at, at that time it was 24 hours so the radio stations could play it whenever they wanted so what they did because it was based on a 24-hour period uh, they played all the CanCon Canadian content at the back end from 2 to 8 a.m. in the morning when nobody was really listening. So they circumvented the rules. Then the rules changed, so it had to be between the prime time, so between, say, 7 and 6 at night. And they lumped them in. They lumped the, uh, the CanCon in early and late. So CanCon, uh, the government again changed it and said it has to be 35% every hour. So it keeps the Canadian artists going because without it, you would just play the same crap coming, being fed to the program directors that everyone else in North America had. Do you think it's still the same, though? Like, do you think... Oh, yeah. You think That's why you have Howard Stern. What do you mean? Lowest common denominator. No, but I mean, I just... I just, I don't know if... If the... When you look around, you look at the Canadian artists, and I'm not talking blues, but more in the yeah, mainstream. Yeah. You have some pretty established acts now and i don't know if that would have happened without cancon in the past it never would have happened without cancon and and skip Procrop has has been against cancon forever so is bruce allen but without cancon brian adams doesn't become a huge star like he doesn't get the foot in mm -hmm. that's that's what cancon did it allowed april wine you can do whatever you want you know you can stay in canada such as blue rodeo pretty much does right um or, or you can travel the world uh, like April Wine does or Brian Adams. Brian Adams is a fantastic uh, performer in that. But I don't think he would have had the leg up that CanCon gave him at the start. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's all CanCon's for. But what it's become now is all you hear is Celine Dion, Guess Who, uh, Neil Young, Blue Rodeo Now. Um, but it was all that Joni Mitchell, Gordon Lightfoot. It was all the same mm -hmm. artists. So those five or ten writers... They all get all the money, and nobody else, you know, you don't hear of anyone else. So thank God for the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, because that's the only place, that in college radio, you will hear brand new Canadian music. And we should also say that depending on the genres, like whether it be jazz, yeah. classical, or blues, they don't work at 30%. I think it's a lot lower, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. It's like 10, 15, 20%. Yeah. But, you know, that's, I mean, that, that's, that, that's the elephant in the room. And, and, and you, you play with the hand you're dealt. Hmm. So, I mean, it doesn't mean... I, I think too many people don't want the argument. It, it's a very Canadian way. Um, but I'm not really Canadian. So <laughs> I like arguing. But, but I wonder, if, you, if they took it away, what would happen? Because I just think we, there's enough established acts and good acts Yeah, Yeah, today. but it's for... I see it as the new and up-and-coming ones. I don't think it's doing that now. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, Justin Bieber... For, for, for want of a, a, a better phrase, broke in the U.S. Right. You know, and he broke on YouTube. So I think much like, a, uh, like radio is, is sort of shooting itself in the foot in that it's not changing with the times. Um, but I'm be, not sure if people are listening to radio anymore. No, but it, it, I was going to say is that it's still, it, it's an advertising medium. People don't understand radio because they um, uh, are commercial radio because they think of it when there were kids, uh, people my age, mm -hmm. transistor radio, listen to those great songs. Well, you still hear those songs because of adult uh, contemporary uh, stations. But all radio is, is a newspaper with music. It's just there to sell ads. Mm -hmm. And the music is what gets you in to listen. And I think 
radio has to change its format somehow because newspapers are gone. So now you have radio, and where do the ads go? Now the ads are all going on the Facebooks and the, the Instagrams and, and Twitters and all that. So, and I don't know enough about that medium, but that's where the advertising is going. So as a musician, how are you approaching the future differently because uh, of the changing landscape? Pretty much the same as any bullheaded Scotsman would do. <laughs> <laughs> Lower the head and just run. And hopefully you don't hit a wall. Um, I, I look at it now this way. I will keep writing songs. I will try and sell my songs uh, to TV and to other artists if I can. I thought I had a couple sold this year, you know, and, and it takes a little while because you're, you're making relationships. Um, but I get to travel and see the world, and I'm fine with that. It's a busman's holiday, and I'm okay with that. I got to see Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland, the Antrim Coast, um, uh, and, and, and uh, some, some places where, where, where my, grand, my great-grandparents are from. And, and I've, I've been to France, I've been to Germany, I've been to Holland, I, I've been to Copenhagen. I was never doing that when I was working for a living. <laughs> now I'm doing it now. And never worked harder in my life. Right, you're working. Yeah. But, so, so it's a busman's holiday. So now the next plan is to get my wife on these trips and make her become the Yoko Ono and split up the band. <laughs> Sorry, honey. <laughs> Is there, is there a plan of action? Is there a goal? My goal is, I said this to, um, we all know Richard Flohill, and, and your listeners may or may not. So Richard Flohill is a top, top um, uh, publicist in Canada. And him and I were chatting one day, and I love Richard. I love him to death. And I've said this to his face, although he may not remember it because he might not have been listening to me. Because <laughs> as you know, I just talk incessantly, and hopefully somebody listens. Do you actually hope? Well, that or just to go on. Oh, yeah. Well, you have to have hope. I mean, I hope my hair grows back too, but you know, you got to have hope. So I, I, I said to Richard, Richard comes up at this, uh, this soiree we're at. He says, Johnny, oh, I hear you want to be some big blues rock and roll star. And I said, Nope, Richard, all I want to be, I want to, I want to play 60 gigs a year. I said, At four grand a pop, and I'm okay with that. I said, I'll be mid level the rest of my life. <laughs> I will get to see every place I want to go see, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm too old to be a star. Um, uh, not that I'm good enough anyway, but let, let the young kids dream of that. I know my lot, my place. I know how good my bands are. I know how good the songwriting is. But, you know, there is no room for ego in the blues. No. Unless you're B.B. King, rest his soul. But other than that, you know. But even that, is that attainable, easily attainable? I don't think it's easily attainable. I think it's a, I think it's a, a good uh, uh, thing to shoot for. I, th I think you can be, you can play uh, on either coast in Canada once a year, a couple gigs, you know, four, five, six, seven gigs once a year. There's enough gigs around. You just have to be willing to travel and afford it. I think you can go into the States once a year for 10 gigs. Uh, maybe, maybe it becomes 20. I think you can go to Europe twice, may, at least twice a year. And I think uh, now um, I'm looking at Australia and, uh, and, and I'm trying to figure out China. And if you can do that, that's a year set. <laughs> you know. For anybody who doesn't know who, what your band is like, how would you explain what you They're do? They're crap. <laughs> I mean, this is probably the worst band uh, of misfits and, and uh, what's, uh, what, what's the, the Santa Claus movie? That Misfit Island. 
The <laughs> Misfit Toys. The Island of Misfit Toys. That's what we are. <laughs> you do such a good job of selling yourself. Oh, listen, I, nobody sells like I do. <laughs> the Johnny Max band, I tell you, that, that the guys we have in a band right now, um, the new album will have Kevin Vino on guitar, Russ Boswell on bass, Rob Gusevs on, uh, on keys, and Jimmy Casson on drums. Great band, great, great guys to play with. And uh, the previous versions of the band, seems I go through a new band every album, everybody contributes and brings their own spin. I said earlier, uh, Canadian blues is a melange, and that's what this band is, an absolute melange. So we'll have jazz chops in there, we'll have country stuff, we'll have uh, old-time honky-tonk, we'll bring New Orleans, we'll bring a, a Memphis sound, a Toronto, a Yorkville sound, rock and roll, blues, and singer-songwriter, whatever. If a song is a good song, we'll, we'll put it on there, and we will massage it to what we think is just a good song. And that's what the Canadian that's what Canadian musicians bring to blues. Do you have a title for the new album? The new album is called Roadhouse Soul. And when is it gonna be out? It'll be out when it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's taken a while. This has been the longest trek uh, I've taken to do an album and and, and, ju- and just because of, of logistics. So a couple guys had to leave, they they couldn't find the time um, and, and stuff of like that. So we had to get new guys in. Does that mean you had to re-record some stuff? No, I didn't have to re-record anything. But when we were set up for pre-production and an album, I thought, and then I guess I didn't communicate it well enough to the other guys because in Toronto, you have to keep moving. So you got to keep working. Mm-hmm. So if you're not working enough, the guys, not that they're going to leave, but they're going to find other work. And, and sometimes that doesn't work with, uh, with the recording schedule. In our case, there was new families. There was new jobs. And you can't take time off of a new job. Um, you know, young families, you got to stay closer to home. So, you know, you're not going to tour with guys. And if the money's not there, maybe they need more money that, than I'm willing to pay up front. So be it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I would love to have a band like the Beatles and the Stones. That's That was what I always envisioned. But in Toronto, as you know, you just, you just can't. So, and there's enough guys. I mean, like I said, I got four bands on the go. Uh, at various times there's enough guys I can use that I trust because here's the other thing I have to trust them because I don't play anything I mean I play the clown <laughs> see what I how, did how big of a disadvantage is that I think it's a huge disadvantage but if you surround yourself with guys who know what they're doing can read can do charts can talk about changes and 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 different um uh ways a song can go then I'm all in but is it easy for you to communicate your idea? Because obviously you have ideas. I have ideas, but mine are not written in stone. I, I said this to a young songwriter a couple of weeks back. I said, your songs are great, um, but be prepared. Because she, she was going to go into a new studio environment with, uh, and she'd never, she'd never played with a band really. And I listened to some of her songs, and they're, they're, they're good. But I said, you should be willing, in my case, to go in with an idea with guys, now she plays, so it's, it's a bit different, with guys who have their own ideas and be willing to follow that path. Hmm. Now, that path can change again. Right. But I also said words, you can get your message across with any amount of words. So make it fit the melody or make it fit the groove or vice versa, right? But don't be beholden. Um, I've always wanted to use that on tape. Don't That's be beholden. Cool to uh, that moot. I want to use a moot point. I think you just made it. Yeah, I probably did. It was a segue, but if you got to tell people it's a segue, then it's not really working. Um, 
to be beholden to an idea that is so uh, stiff that, that you can't change. Because a song, a song is organic. Everyone who writes a song knows that, and it morphs. So you have an idea of what it, what it is at the start. It may turn out like that at the end, but I guarantee you, it's not the same as when you initially started it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always changing. And I, um, I, I change songs on the fly. We have 11 songs in the can right now waiting for my vocals. Now, the songs are all written. I did scratch vocals. They're all going to change because right. that's, that's, you know, that's what's going to happen. Because I, I like recording as a moment in time. And then the songs will morph into something else as, as we play it live. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some guys like doing it the other way. But My final question to you. Final? Is, yeah. Is, is this over? <laughs> it's over. It's over. You, you come to be in a, a band late in life. What's the greatest lesson you've learned from that, from this experience? Oh, you're being philosophical here. No, Just don't let me down. <laughs> what is the greatest thing? I think some of my band members w- would disagree. Because um, <laughs> didn't they leave already? Yeah, I, I feel like Donnie Walsh. We've gone through 200 members already. Um, I, I think what what I've learned is I try and get along with people, and I always have but you can't always do that. Somebody has to be the leader. And I'm not very good at that most of the time, mm-hmm. but every now and then, no, we're, we're doing this. We're do, this is what we're gonna do. So I, I, I think as a musician and as a band leader, um, you find out quickly, like being, um, like starting a new family, you find out very quickly whether you have the balls to have the responsibility or not. And if you're not gonna take the responsibility, your band will suffer, as will your family. So you have to take responsibility. These guys rely on me to get gigs. They rely on me to get, uh, um, to get projects going and to pay them properly. And that's what I do. That's the biggest lesson I've had in this is that you treat it as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think coming in, working for 25 years, I mean, I started working when I was 13. Uh, working like that, I think you find that. I think there's a lot of musicians, don't, not that they don't have the drive, but they don't have the know-how or the bullheadedness to keep going because it's a pretty daunting business where people tell you you're shit mm-hmm. over and over and over, and much like an actor, and, and you really have to believe in yourself. Um, and I do, and I believe in the guys that, that I play with, and, and they've helped me out the, the whole way. It's, it's amazing. Good answer. Not bad, eh? Not bad, Not bad for a class clown. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. It's, it's been a pleasure. Oh, Marco, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You've been, we've been friends for a long time. and uh, Don't tell anybody. You're a lovely, lovely man, and I will deny ever saying that. <laughs> Good. So Good thing we didn't record this. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> you so. too, Bruce. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs>